This is episode number 340, How Training Your Respiratory System Boosts Performance with Luke Way and Dr. Andrew Sellers. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. There's the whole tolerating of CO2 part, which is amazing, but then there's the whole like supercharging your, your respiratory system in a way that allows you to access more of the range of motion you have. So, you know, you think about like any limb on your body, your arm, for example, it has a, a range of motion that it's capable of. Now, your lungs or your respiratory system has a range of motion as well. The difference with your respiratory system is that you're using it 24 seven, but you're using it in a range of motion that's like very small and metabolically cheap to use, which is a good thing when you're at rest, but we wanna be able to access that full range of motion when the time comes. Before we dive in, I wanted to give you a heads up that I have two spots that just opened in my health coaching and mental performance coaching practice. Coaching is about closing the gap from where you are now to where you wanna be. There are lots of things that we want to do that we think about in our heads, but it can be really hard to put it into action and to stay consistent and stay on the path. So I'm here for you. If you are interested in health and wellness coaching or mental performance coaching, visit my website at sonyalooney.com, use the contact form or click on how I can help and you can see more about that. If you're listening to today's episode, you are probably really interested in performance and performance has a lot of different elements to it, from your mind, to training your body, to training your respiratory system, to what you put in your body. If you're an endurance athlete, chances are that you've had some aches and pains and that you've thought about taking supplements. There's a lot of skepticism around supplements, and I have been in that camp myself. And that's why I was so excited to finally find a supplement company that I trusted in Prevenex. But what really sold me on their products were two things. First, I took the products and I still take the products consistently for four weeks. And even though I was uncertain, I was going to feel actual benefits in a short period of time. I did. And also my husband did too. I genuinely felt better and had more energy throughout the day. But even more than that, I've seen testimonials from so many cyclists and runners on the health and performance benefits that they've experienced to greatly help their athletic performance. I've even heard about Prevenex on other podcasts. I'm a big fan of the multivitamin, which has the highest quality ingredients to fill your nutrient gaps and needs. And it also has broad-based antioxidant support so that you can push harder and recover quicker. And that's pretty important for us endurance athletes. But the product that I really wanna highlight today is their Joint Health Plus product. You can read reviews for yourself on Prevenex.com, but to summarize, cyclists and runners see meaningful reductions in joint pain and faster joint recovery from workout to workout. The main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in seven to 10 days. That's right, just seven to 10 days, which is almost unheard of. And beyond that, it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blind placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. And I wanna be performing into my 80s and 90s, so this is a game changer. 
If joint longevity, performance, and everyday health matters to you, which as athletes, I'm sure it does, I strongly encourage you to check out Joint Health Plus to experience the benefits for yourself. Visit Prevenex.com, that is P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use the code SONYA15, that is S-O-N-Y-A-15, to save 15% on your first purchase. And best of all, Prevenex has a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you don't feel the benefits, you can return the products, no questions asked. So that's pretty cool. You have nothing to lose. So check out Prevenex.com. All right, on to today's guests, which I'm pretty excited about because I have been working with Luke Way and Dr. Andrew Sellers for quite a long time. In fact, they have both been guests on the podcast in the past. The reason why I'm really excited about today's podcast is that the respiratory system is something that is often overlooked whenever we are talking about endurance training. People look at strength training, people look at doing these long rides or runs, they look at doing interval training, but they never look at training the respiratory system. Learning how to breathe and how to train to maximize your capacity is a game changer. Interested? Well, this week I sat down with Luke Way, the CEO of the Breathe Way Better Isocapnic Respiratory Training System, and Dr. Andrew Sellers, Chief Science Officer and Anesthesiologist, to talk about the respiratory system and its importance for sport. So what am I talking about? Well, there are devices you can use to specifically train your respiratory system. So the Breathe Way Better is the name of the device that we're going to be talking about here, but it controls how much fresh air you take in with each breath. And this allows you to breathe as hard and as fast as you want for as long as you need to sufficiently train your respiratory system. What makes this so powerful is that you can effectively train your technique, your breath volume, your coordination, your strength and power, as well as your respiratory endurance. Most people's respiratory systems are undertrained, so there is a lot of availability to improve here, and it's something that has really helped me. I personally use the Breathe Way Better, and that is the device to train your respiratory system. I use it to warm up for my workouts. I use it for altitude training, and I have a protocol that I use for that that was really helpful in Breckenridge, Colorado at the Breck Epic. And I use it simply to increase my FEV1 and my overall respiratory capacity. So you'll hear more about that in a little bit. Today, we go into talking about if the respiratory system is a limiting factor in sport, and spoiler alert, it is, how to use the respiratory system in sport. Are you aware of how many breaths per minute that you are breathing? Are you aware of how to breathe off CO2 whenever you're training hard and how to increase the respiratory challenge? We talk about the potential gains for training your respiratory system, what a good breath actually looks like. We talk about nasal breathing. We also talk about how do you know if respiratory training is actually working or doing anything for you. We also talked about respiratory training at altitude and if this impacts your VO2 max. If you want to pick up your own Breathe Way Better respiratory training device, Andrew and Luke have offered 10% off using the code Sonya Looney 2023. So that's all lowercase S-O-N-Y-A-L-O-O-N-E-Y 2023. Or my link that is in the show notes. Again, you can get 10% off using the code Sonya Looney 2023. The device is very affordable and it's basically a no-brainer to start training your respiratory system. So Luke is an endurance coach specializing in elite level triathlon, but also working with mountain bikers and CrossFitters. After training for 20 years, he noticed that most athletes were limiting their performance because of the way they breathe. So we started to figure out how to better train the respiratory system. He partnered with his mentor, Dr. Sellers, and another close friend to invent the isocapnic Breathe Way Better training system, which is a three-pillared system that consists of hardware, software, and the curation of knowledge. There's also free training plans on the website. 
And Dr. Sellers is one of the most respected authorities on athletic respiratory performance. His expertise informs the ISO Kapnik Breathe Way Better training system. In addition to his work as CSO and anesthesiologist, he has a master's in athletic coaching. He also co-founded Balance Point Racing. Previously, I had Dr. Andrew Sellers on to talk about the respiratory system in the past, and you might remember that episode. And I've also had Luke on to talk about how to do heat training for specific events. So those are linked up in the show notes if you're interested in checking it out for your summer races. All right, let's get into the show. I hope you enjoy it. Andrew, Dr. Sellers, welcome back to the show. Luke, welcome back to the show. You guys have both been on. Yes. Yeah, it's been a while. The OGs. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into it, I'll just let the audience know that I'll link to all of the episodes that we've recorded. We've recorded about respiratory system, kind of a primer in the past. We've talked about heat training and altitude training and lots of fun stuff. So for people who are preparing for their races and their events next year, that's a really good place to start. But for today, we are going to dive deeper into the respiratory system. So I guess a good place to start for people who haven't heard any previous episodes and who aren't familiar with the respiratory system, can one of you take the ball on this one and talk about the respiratory system in regards to how we use it in sport? Yeah, so breathing is important, obviously. In the ABCs of life, you have airway, which you need to have to be able to move air through your system, and then you need breathing, and that's number two. And Without breathing, everything else falls apart fairly quickly. So yeah, so the importance of breathing for sport is the fact that every increase in intensity of sport requires an increase in respiratory effort. And that respiratory effort is really driven by the accumulation of CO2. So carbon dioxide develops in the muscles from metabolism to create energy, to create the movement that you're doing in whatever sport you're doing, whether it's rock climbing or cycling or running swimming, it doesn't matter what sport you're doing, every increase in intensity will require you to breathe harder, faster, deeper. And we can talk about those dynamics a little bit later, because there's metrics to go with each one of those. But the whole purpose of doing that is twofold. One everybody thinks about is providing oxygen to the muscles. And that's why people breathe. But the drive to breathe more is not to provide more oxygen to the muscles because you can only provide a certain amount of oxygen. And once the oxygen is there, you can use it however you want. But it really is to get rid of the carbon dioxide, which is really tightly regulated in the human body to maintain a normal pH. So that's the acidity level of the blood. And your pH is tightly controlled by chemoreceptors in your brain because the enzymes that help break down fuels and create energy are very sensitive to changes in pH. So our human pH is maintained between 7.35 and 7.45. And anything outside of that range is really unhealthy, but also not well tolerated. So people don't do well with pHs outside of that level. As soon as your CO2 starts to rise, your pH will drop. It, It contributes to the acidity. And it triggers your brain to breathe deeper and breathe faster. So the whole concept of respiratory training and and the importance of understanding how you breathe during exercise is really how you're controlling your CO2 levels. That's the, the simplistic version of it. There are lots of complicated physiology about what happens with rising levels of CO2. And we can talk about that maybe later about CO2 tolerance and things like that. And what happens for free divers when they're doing long breath holds of of four, five, six minutes. 
but and they are really masters of tolerating changes in pH and changes in CO2 levels. But mm-hmm. for the average athlete and for the athletes that are that were training and competing, their CO2s are held very tightly regulated. And how we get that is controlled by how we breathe. To simplify, you know, for us to push harder on the bike or the run or whatever we're doing requires us to breathe harder for us to respond with our, with our lungs working harder, our respiratory system working harder. And so that takes up a, a certain amount of energy in the system to do. And the reality is, is that 70% of people are limited by that system. And so their performance is, is then held back by how hard their lungs can work. And yeah, so think, that's where the oh, respiratory tra- training sort of steps in is to like make that more efficient. So, you know, it's no longer a limitation and you can actually push your muscles to their max. Yeah. I think a lot of people haven't actually thought about training their respiratory system. They're thinking like, well, they think oh, I'm going to go do intervals and they don't realize that in doing that, you sort of are training your respiratory system and you're not doing it by itself, but you are, that's, that's one of the points of doing an interval workout. Can you talk about how an interval workout, for example, and I know there's different types of interval workouts, but how that is interacting with the respiratory system and it's not just you training your legs. Sure. Yeah. So a, a typical like pre sort of respiratory training interval set would be, you know, like, like the session that I just came back from. So the guys were doing about 12 times, 800 meters up this climb, and then they run back down and they rest and then they do it again and again and again. And that's a pretty typical, like he'll repeat sort of session. Now with that, you're going to get the, you know, the muscular benefit of it, of charging up the hill, and that's going to drive respiratory demand and cardiac demand and all this, all these benefits. And then you come running back down and you kind of do it again and again. Now, the challenge is, is as, as we have found over the past, you know, two decades of testing is that most people like need to work their, their respiratory system specifically. And they don't necessarily need to be pushing massive like hill repeats to fulfill the goal of their training. And so we can actually focus those specific athletes on just the respiratory portion of that same set. So let's say the set is, you know, four minutes up and three minutes down. Well, okay, perfect. So we can do a four minute long respiratory training specific set and let the whole rest of your system not be stressed out and recover from whatever else has been done. And so you're, as far as your lungs are concerned, the musculature related to your respiratory system, it's working as hard, if not harder than it would in that interval set. But the whole rest of your system gets to actually recover and be ready for whatever other training is coming up. And so the grand total training load for the week then gets amplified because we're not overstressing systems as a surrogate of getting the training effect we're looking for. And then we can focus that actual training on the other systems that need the work. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that just to simplify it a little bit further is, you know, you start going harder, you start breathing harder, and that's because there's CO2 that's rising in your body and your body needs to blow off the CO2. But there is, you're saying that you can learn and train to tolerate more CO2. And that is done by, maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, chemoreceptors kind of in, in your brain are sensing how much CO2 is there. And then there's a judge of how much pH has the pH gone more acidic in my body. And you start breathing harder. So you're actually also training your breathing while you're out there doing 30 second intervals, five minute intervals, it's just your respiratory frequency, how hard you're breathing, how fast you're breathing. That is different based on how hard you're going. But mm-hmm. by doing that, you're not just training 
how fast you can go, how, how strong your legs are, even how, you know, your heart, you're training your ability to tolerate CO2 in your body. And you're also training all of these respiratory muscles in your, like your intercostal mm. muscles, your diaphragm, your, tr- and you're also working on your coordination so that you can yeah. coordinate all of these muscles to breathe in a proper way. Yeah. So what you're saying is that, yes, you can train that out on the bike or running, but using a device such as the device that you have, isocabinic, breathe way better. You can train your respiratory muscles. You can train yourself to tolerate more CO2 without having to go out there and bury yourself in an interval workout. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's several fold, right? Like there's the whole tolerating of CO2 part, which is amazing. But then there's the whole like supercharging your, your respiratory system in a way that allows you to access more of the range of motion you have. So, you know, you think about like any limb on your body, your arm, for example, it has a, a range of motion that it's capable of. Now, your lungs or your respiratory system has a range of motion as well. The difference with your respiratory system is that you're using it 24-7, but you're using it in a range of motion that's like very small and metabolically cheap to use, which is a good thing when you're at rest, but we want to be able to access that full range of motion when the time comes. And so, you know, a good example, I was training an athlete yesterday who's an ex-national team rower has like eight and a half liter lung capacity, just big old lungs, right? Um, It's like, wow, okay, awesome. I can't wait to see how this looks like when you're like in the middle of of an interval. And so we slowly bump him up when he's riding his bike and he never got above two and a half liters of breath volume during exercise. So So he's only using all of this, all of this structure. Yeah, yeah he's, he's barely using what he has because all he ever uses is this tiny little range of motion that he's used to using at rest. And then when it comes time to actually work hard, it's the coordination and strength to move that much air is just just not there. It's not conditioned. And that's a, it's an important point to point out because what Sonia was mentioning is that by doing intervals, you're going to increase your CO2 tolerance. And the fact is that most people won't increase their CO2 tolerance just by doing intervals because they'll default back into the breathing pattern that blows mm-hmm. off the CO2. Mm-hmm. So unless, unless the focus is to breathe less or breathe less than what your body is signaling, you will not increase your CO2 tolerance. So you need to actually consciously control the breathing to a slower rate in order to develop a higher CO2 that will eventually lead to tolerance. So the fact of doing intervals, and this again is probably indicates why in the literature, there's such a wide range of results to different interval patterns. So whether you look at Tabata or high-intensity interval training sessions of a minute versus three minutes versus five minutes, every study ever done is going to say so the same thing. There's going to be about a third of the athletes are going to benefit from that kind of training. There's going to be about a third of the athletes that don't really benefit. There's going to be a third that actually might get worse with any specific intervention. And the challenge is that why did some of them get better? Well, some of them got better because they physiologically adapted to the training and then were able to use it in future testing. Whereas the training methods that were used, whether it's a Tabata 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, didn't actually stimulate the limitation that would actually lead to improved performance. And so if you look back at literature on either respiratory training or interval training, you'll see that there's always responders and non-responders. And all of our focus from a coaching should be on why did it work? So not, did it work? Great. It, it worked. That's fantastic. But why did it work? Physiologically, what were the changes that happened with that intervention that allowed for improved performance for that specific athlete? And why did the other athlete not respond? If they didn't respond, then we need to change the training. And that comes back to the whole 
focus of mm-hmm. philosophy of coaching of not calling them non-responders, calling them it, it's that's a teachable moment for the coach. And if your athlete didn't respond to the training, it wasn't the athlete's fault. They're not a non-responder. You didn't give them the right stimulus to actually provide the change. Yeah. And that and that really should warrant a deeper look into what the athlete needs in order to have the change in performance. So through all this testing that you've done over the years, and I've done plenty of tests with Balance Point and with you guys, how would training the respiratory system impact performance? Because we're hearing, you know, your example with the rower, he's only using, you know, 25% of his lung capacity. What does that translate to if he's able to train his respiratory system and then start using maybe five liters or six liters or, you know, a higher capacity? What, what does that mean? I'll try and do this really simply just as a reminder, because I was going back to something that Luke was going to mention, I think earlier was at a high intensity effort, about 15% of your cardiac output needed to create energy is going to the respiratory system just to maintain adequate perfusion of the lungs and and perfusion of the body with oxygen. So if, for example, the rower who's inefficiently breathing, he's using 15% of his energy just to breathe. He's at, that's if he's efficiently working, it might be 17, 18, 19% of his energy is actually just to breathe really fast because he's having, he's breathing such small volumes. Mm -hmm. If we can improve his efficiency of breathing and take 5% 5% of that energy that is currently being used just to breathe and push it into his legs so that he can cycle faster. That's a 5% improvement in performance of his cycling. So making the respiratory system more efficient or using the respiratory patterns that are more efficient for the lung volumes that you're capable of is going to lead to improved performance just by reducing the energy requirements to breathe. So a simple example on one person. Yeah. And I mean, like the thing to remember that the energetic side of things is that, yeah, it's 15% at sub threshold intensities, but that increases once you go over threshold, it goes up to it's 35% or more, especially if you're inefficient. Right. And so that falls apart pretty quickly. Yeah. And this is something to really think about because people will spend, you know, thousands of dollars to shed 500 grams off their bike so that they can, you know, go faster or, you know, maybe they're, they're overtraining because they're thinking, well, if I just do a little bit more riding, I'm just going to get faster. And everybody's trying to make these gains, but this is a very obvious gain with a very large potential to improve your performance. So with that, with that said, like, how do people actually do this? Like what device do they use if they're thinking, well, okay, I want to train my respiratory system. And how do I do that? If I'm not out running or riding my bike where there's a forced demand for me to start breathing faster or, breathing slower so yeah. that I have more CO2. I mean, over the years, we've, we've gone through, you know, using all sorts of different devices to try to isolate the system and train it effectively. Um, and we've obviously gravitated towards a more isocapnic type of training. And so that's a recapturing of your exhaled gases and allowing you to rebreathe it. This allows you to breathe as hard and as fast as you could possibly imagine without becoming faint, right? Without hyper or hypoventilating. So it maintains blood gases while like really challenging the respiratory musculature. And so that's where our device comes into the market is that we, we created, there it is right there, the, uh, the isocapnic breathed way better. And so it uses fluid dynamics to maintain the appropriate amount of fresh air in and the appropriate amount of CO2 vented off. And so allowing you to breathe, you know, from 10 breaths per minute all the way up to, the sky's the limit, 80 breaths per minute, if you like. But typically people are maxing out somewhere, you know, around 35 to 45 breaths per minute. 
And then we can break down training even further between structural and functional types of training. So for this athlete we're talking about earlier that has a great amount of total volume, he has great structure, but he just needs to learn how to use it. And so teaching him to just cycle, you know, five or six liters is a big challenge and doing it at, you know, 25, 35 breaths per minute is the goal for the next eight to 10 weeks for this guy. For a pretty large majority of people, it's actual like structural change that we're looking for. And so that might mean going to a chiropractor and freeing up some ribs. That might mean doing mobility exercises to help open things up structurally and then strengthening your diaphragm and improving that range of motion. So you're actually able to access more of your, uh, of your volume. Now, can you quickly say, like walk us through what a good breath looks like? Because a lot of people are, have like, they'll have like a tight neck or they're like breathing through their chest and their shoulders are heaving up and down and they sure. don't have, they're, they're not even using their full range of motion. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So, I mean, like it's extremely common for adults to breathe very chesty. And so as they breathe in, they suck their gut in and they blow up their chest and their, their neck increases and their, their shoulders come up and that's how they breathe. They suck in. And then as they breathe out, they relax. This is sort of the opposite. If you watch an infant child breathe when they're sleeping, especially you'll see their little belly moving up and down as they breathe. And we're all checking to make sure they're breathing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You see like their belly move out as they breathe in and they see their belly move in as they breathe out. And so they're belly breathing from the diaphragm. And this is hugely important for sport training an athlete the other day, that's a um, Brazilian jujitsu artist. And so obviously like a lot of upper body bracing and holding in, in a sort of an isometric pattern. And so to breathe in a chesty, you know, way is impossible. You need to have that diaphragmatic range of motion to continue to cycle CO2. And this is the same thing for mountain bikers. You're locked in holding on your, on your handlebars. If you're a mountain biker, it's even worse if you're a time trialist because you're, it's even tighter. So having that diaphragmatic range of motion is, uh, is hugely important. So the exercise that we get people to do to start out is just one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly, and you want to feel as you breathe in that your, your upper hand doesn't move and your bottom hand moves out or it relaxes out, right? You breathe into your belly, into your belly button. And then as you exhale, you squeeze your abs towards your spine, right? But your chest stays the same out with the belly into your spine. And so most of that range of motion is coming from that lower abdomen. Once we're at that point, then we start looking at how we can improve volumes and then improving the strength from there. It's a good reminder that uh, the diaphragm is one of the few muscles in the body that's 100% slow twitch fibers. It has no fast twitch fibers, but it is a muscle just like skeletal muscle. It It can develop strength. It can develop coordination just like any other bicep, tricep, quads, it is just a muscle that can be trained and it can be thickened. It can get bigger, thicker, more dynamic. And as Luke was mentioning, can move through a bigger range of motion with training. So those are all changes that can happen with specific focus on respiratory, which is why there's benefits for yoga and meditation is a lot of the focus of yoga and meditation is on breathing and, and it has benefits and roll over into athletics just from learning how to breathe properly. And and it really is the first part of any kind of respiratory training Mm -hmm. program, whether you're trying to train for jujitsu or triathlon or anything else. The first step is to actually learn how to breathe efficiently, which is using the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One really cool thing 
that's like very interesting to see in action is how people new to range of motion respiratory training, like like cycling big ranges that they've never done before, is just how your neurologic system connects to that diaphragm. And what I've found is that certainly with new coordinations like this that they've never done before, is that the neurologic bandwidth to tell your diaphragm to move in this way is going to be connected to something else, whether that's moving of your back or maybe that's moving with your neck. Or one scenario I had the other day is the actual constricting of the voice box. And so I had an athlete that couldn't actually breathe faster than 25 breaths per minute without actually like creating sound from their voice box. And it Mm. took us like backing things right off to teach them how to relax here and contract here. So it's funny how, how the neurologic system connects these systems to save energy. And it takes training to separate those coordinations out. So you can relax one and continue to work the other. Uh, We've worked with a lot of athletes who have been diagnosed with exercise induced asthma, who actually don't have any signs of asthma. They have a problem with the respiratory system. We have worked with athletes who have been diagnosed with acid reflux because they get sore vocal cords. They get hoarse voices after high intensity exercise and they They've been worked up by gastroenterology, by cardiology, for all these different challenges they think are related to other systems. And it has everything to do with what Luke just mentioned, is the neural activity of the muscles and the inappropriate contraction of muscles that should not be used for breathing under most circumstances. They're, they're accessory muscles that are there to help the respiratory system at maximal efforts. But really, from a sports perspective, they have no benefit in terms of moving air efficiently, we can do that all with diaphragm and intercostal muscles. We should be doing it all with diaphragm and intercostal muscles. I wanted to ask about nasal breathing because whenever you're using the Breathe Way Better, it's like, this is a podcast, so it's audio. So people should check out what it looks like, but it's basically just a really small mouthpiece. And then this like large silicone bag that you breathe in and out of. It's not this like crazy, you know, technical looking device with all these bells and whistles. And it's, it's simple and effective. And I think that that's really a really important point to make. And it's really easy to take with you anywhere you go. But what about the nasal breathing thing? Cause like the book, everybody's, a lot of people have read the book breath by James Nestor. And a lot of people are trying to breathe through their nose, you know, while they're exercising. So how does that all come into play with all of this? I'm happy to take this one if you don't want. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm happy to see that it's coming. Cause uh, we're, we're developing a nasal breathing version of breathe way better. It is something that's high on our list of things to address. Certainly, there is benefit to nasal breathing. And anybody who's read those, Breath, Austin Advantage, or Breath by James Nestor, they're great books, and they have opened up a whole nother level of respiratory interest. And absolutely, there is benefit to it. So you can do the training, and realistically, at high-intensity exercise, you're going to end up breathing through your mouth. It, you just, it is very challenging to breathe, to draw enough air fast enough in and out through your nose just because of the constriction of the nasal passages. But for sure, there is benefit at all intensities up into high intensity to optimize nasal breathing for a a number of different reasons, as outlined in the books. And and some of it, it has to do with stimulation of the nitric oxide pathways and of the humidification and the smooth flowing of air, which actually is probably the biggest benefit from reducing the irritation of turbulent airflow So by breathing through the nose, it actually smooths the airflow down into the trachea and directs it smoother. So you get less turbulence of air and turbulent air 
causes irritation, causes increased phlegm, causes increased inflammation in the airways themselves. And this is why a lot of athletes get diagnosed with exercise-induced asthma. It's because at high intensity, they're breathing such turbulent air that it's actually causing the irritation that looks like mm -hmm. asthma and it feels like asthma. They get wheezy, they get challenges with secretions, and they get challenges with inflammation. And that is what asthma is. The challenge is the only reason they have it is because they are literally breathing turbulent air. And if you can smooth down that airflow by breathing slower, breathing bigger volumes, and ideally breathing as much of it through your nose as possible, you'll reduce the turbulence of the airflow. So yes, nasal breathing, absolutely important. And there will be a new device coming out to support BreatheWay to be able to do nasal breathing with the BreatheWay better. So what does a workout look like if somebody's using one of these and how does that impact your regular training? You can use BreatheWay as part of a regular workout, or you can do it as its own workout for people just getting to know the BreatheWay. Probably one of the best ways to start with it is using it as part of your warm up routine. Let's say you're going to get ready to go and do a bike ride, but it can be anything, you know, just leave yourself five minutes of time before you get on the bike to do a little breathe way set. Start out at 15 breaths per minute. You're going to increase by two breaths per minute every 30 seconds. And you just go up until it feels just before the point where it, you feel like, okay, this is a workout. It shouldn't feel like a workout. It should just feel like a mobilizing exercise. And so that's a brilliant way to warm up the respiratory system. It's awesome pre-workout. It's amazing pre-race, right? You think about like getting ready for a mountain bike race, for example, you know, typically speaking, you're pinning it to win it right off the get-go. And so to actually get that system properly warmed up for that intensity is really difficult to do, especially because the respiratory system is going to be a major limiter in pinning it off the line like that. And so this allows you to actually get the range of motion out of the respiratory system before hit the start line. From a swimming perspective, I mean, this is such a fun way to think about it. It is very typical that, you know, we do spirometry before and after a warm-up. It's very typical to see an athlete improve their respiratory volumes by about 200 milliliters. Now that's 200 more milliliters of air you're able to hold. And when you're swimming, that changes your buoyancy in the water. It makes you more efficient. And so it, it's just hugely beneficial uh, to do it as part of your warm up. But then to do a standalone workout, this can look at like any other interval set or steady state set you're used to doing in regular training. The, a typical like steady state workout might look like three to five times, you know, four minutes holding a breath rate that's just below challenging for you. So that might be like 28 breaths per minute. And you're just like holding that. And the primary focus there is to try to cycle range of motion, right? And, and use the coordination patterns that are going to be relevant to your sport. So whether that's like in arrow position or that's, you know, holding a plank or just at, at rest even is, is a big challenge for a lot of people. But maybe you want to do like more of an intense, like strength-based workout, in which case you might do over-unders where you might do 20 breaths per minute for 30 seconds on and uh, 30 seconds off, I should say. And then your 30 seconds on, it's like 45 or 55 breaths per minute. And you cycle through that for five to 10 minutes, depending on how fit you are with your respiratory system. So it can look like a lot of different ways to include it into uh, a regular training session. One of the favorite ones for my local guys here is on the track. So they'll do an interval on the track that might be 800 meters, that might be 1,000 meters, whatever the running interval is. 
as soon as they stop their uh, run interval, they hop immediately onto the breatheway for 90 seconds. And they try to prolong that respiratory output that, they're, that they were using on the track off the track. And so they're maintaining that same output for an additional 90 seconds. So as far mean, as the sorry, rest Sorry to interrupt. What do you mean by maintaining the same output? So let's say when you're on the track running, you're breathing four liters per breath at 45 breaths per minute. That's what it takes for you to sustain that pace. And so when you when you stop on the track, normally you just take a rest interval and then do your next one. But what we do is we do an extra 90 seconds of breatheway before they get their rest. So they breathe at 45 breaths a minute. And what if their respiratory capacity because they're fatigued is maybe they're breathing like three liters now. Does that matter? So the challenge is the focus here, right? And so the actual volumes are interesting to watch, but the challenge is what we're after. Mm. And so for some athletes, that type of workout is too difficult. They might only be able to hold on for 30 seconds at a time. But I know athletes that are physically too uh, early on in their respiratory system to train in this way. They have to separate their regular training and their respiratory system. Mm. So it just depends on the athlete and where they're at with their training. And similarly, uh, Luke was talking about the athlete that had trouble separating as she increased her respiratory rate. So she was limited by a respiratory rate of 25 before things started to fall apart for her. Mm -hmm. And we've seen lots of athletes who they will have an upper limit of how fast they can breathe efficiently and effectively, and it'll affect their running. So they will limit their running, their cadence to match their fastest breathing rate. So you'll see them on the track, they will get to a certain cadence, and then they will slow down or they will hold that slow cadence, because they can't breathe any faster. So what you can do now is you can help them by giving them an interval where they're actually pushing their cadence and their breathing up to whatever their limit is. And when they stop and you take away the running portion, and you just have them focus on the breathing, you can actually push them on their breathing rate faster than they were able to go on their run, and then then put them back on the run. So they're doing a combined workout between running efficiency and cadence work and respiratory efficiency and breathing work that is slightly different to push their tolerance a little bit higher. And again, it takes it takes a, a coach with some understanding of where the limitations are and it takes some ability to actually measure how they're breathing during the run and whether you're using a device to measure that, like the portable VO2 monitor, or mm-hmm. you're just using an you're teaching an athlete how to count their breaths. Both are are valid ways of doing it. It's just hard for some athletes to actually monitor their breathing rate. But the first part of all of this is education about helping them understand how they're breathing, how fast they're breathing, and how deep they're breathing during the sport that they're doing. And one of the benefits of Breatheway is is we attach it to an app that has a, a free app that has a metronome attached to it so that they can actually feel what the different breathing rates feel like. Mm-hmm. And then they can incorporate that into their run training or their cycling training to understand how different breathing patterns have different efficiencies attached to them. Yeah. And those are all very individualized. Yeah. And so, and I mean, another big like uh, mandate that we have in this project is giving people what they need to succeed. You know, one of the big pain points prior to this project was finding experts and finding protocols for us to like use. And we ended up like having to become those experts because there was just nothing out there. Mm 
And so as part of this project, we have the hardware itself that allows you to do the training. And we have the app that allows you to understand rhythms and maintaining good range of motions. But then we also have a blog full of training programs for free that people can mm -hmm. utilize and see the improvement that they want to see. And so that was a, a major piece of this puzzle for us was making sure that there's just like we've removed as many barriers as possible so uh, people can see the benefit from respiratory training. How many times a week does somebody need to do respiratory training to make a difference? It's a great question. I love that one. Again, right? It, it depends. I can think of a very specific athlete that when we first started training with her with respiratory training. We started with like, you know, three or four sets a week and she came back the weekend, like we, one weekend, she's like, I'm totally like all the rest of my training is messed. I can't recover. Um, my wattages are way down. It's just impossible for me to do this. Are you so talking like, about okay. me? <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to back things off by, uh, to about one session a week until the respiratory system started to get fit enough to sustain it throughout the rest of her training. And that's not an uncommon experience. You have athletes that are really gung-ho and they take on respiratory training like they've, like they've taken on successfully cycling and other things and they go hard at it, but they go hard at it for a few days and then they realize that they are completely tanked and has completely fried their system. And then it takes them a week to recover. And, yep. and until you balance it out, you, ha you have to do it just like, it's like, it's like doing chin-ups. If you do a ton of chin-ups two or three days in a row, your arms are going to be really, really sore if you haven't done it before. That's exactly what happens to the respiratory system. It doesn't get quite as sore because there's not the eccentric loading, but it gets fatigued. And you can't feel fatigue until you try to do another workout. Something that was easy for you before is now really, really hard. And that's just because your respiratory system is fatigued. And again, that is the proof of why respiratory training is so important is if you can actually make yourself tired just by breathing, you have to understand that every training session you're doing needs a focus on some aspect of your breathing to understand that, that you're fatiguing that system with whatever mm -hmm. kind of training you're doing. Yeah. And, and to give you like a sense of like spectrum, you know, a lot of our athletes that have been doing this for many, many years now, it's sort of like their standard respiratory training through the week becomes part of their daily routine. Like they wake up in the morning, brush their teeth. And as they're answering emails, they're also doing their breathway set. And so they can do it like, you know, six, seven times a week because that system is well-trained and it's just a matter of, of maintaining volumes and getting the day going for them. Okay. Yeah. There's so many different ways that I could continue going and I'm just keeping an eye on the time here because I think this is something I could talk about for a couple of hours. <laughs> I guess an important question is how does somebody know that this is working? So they're doing their respiratory training, they're, they're using the free training plans online, but then they get on their bike or they go running. Like, how do they know if it's working or not? So there's a couple different ways that you can objectively monitor this. Probably the easiest way to do it was with a, with a step test, just a very simple way to, to measure, you know, how fit you are with the device. So just like in the warm up, you'll start out at about, you know, 15 breaths per minute and you'll slowly make it harder. Every 30 seconds, you make it two or three breaths per minute harder or faster. You keep going and going and going until you find that you're no longer able to maintain the same volumes that you were at the beginning, right? And so uh, you can do this subjectively, or you can clip the bag to understand the volumes that are relevant to you. And so that's one way to do it. So initially that, you know, that point where you tap out and you're no longer able to hold volumes might be 35 breaths per minute. And then as we see training get better and better, that goes to 38 breaths per minute. That goes to, you know, 40 breaths per minute and so on and so forth as you get uh, fitter and fitter as, as we go on. 
Another really easy way to do it at home, uh, most people have like a cloth tape measure and you can measure the circumference of your chest and the circumference of your torso, uh, your waist, I guess, both on the inhale and on the exhale. And then as you are accessing more range of motion, you'll see that range of motion increase. And then the last way, and one of my favorite ways is using spirometry. Most general practitioners should have access to a spirometer. If not, we have them for sale on our website. Basically what that does is that measures both the strength of your respiratory system and your total volume, or what's called the force vital capacity of your respiratory system. And so with that, we get to see, you know, just how big your lungs are and how, how big your lungs are compared to what we would expect your lungs to be with how tall you are we can get a really close guess as to what your potential might be. And then you might only be, you know, 60% of that potential. And so we want to see that improve. And then of course we get the strength component of that to see just how strong you are at cycling through or pushing that air out of your, out of your mouth. I would also add, and I think those are great for measuring the respiratory system. What Luke's talking about is actually measuring changes to the respiratory system, either volumes or strength and coordination at the different rates. What most athletes are going to be wanting to know is how is it actually affecting their ability to ride Mm -hmm. or run faster. And so for the same reason that that idea of a step test is something that we've used at Balance Point for years is starting at a really low intensity, whether it's running or biking and having a set. Uh, It's easy to do on a trainer for those that ride indoors in the winter at 100 watts. And you increase the watts every three minutes, 100, 120, 140, 160. And most apps like Trainer Road or Zwift have standard step tests in them or time trials in them where you can actually repeat the same tests six weeks or do it as often as you want as a means of testing to see whether your actually performance is improving. Because really, there's no point in doing respiratory training unless you're wanting to improve your performance. So what you should notice is that at the increasing intensities, you have a better control of your breathing feeling an RPE, a rating of perceived exertion, that it's easier at that same wattage and a slower, more efficient breathing pattern. And those are the changes that you should notice with whatever respiratory training program you do. And if you don't notice a change, then really it's up to us as providers of the information to provide you a different training program to get the difference that you need. So if you're doing a 20-minute time trial and you're able to do 40 watts more six weeks from now, then clearly we've made a difference and we're happy. If you're riding exactly the same wattage as you did four weeks ago and it feels exactly the same and you're still breathing 60 breaths a minute and it feels awful, clearly the training that we've supplied or we've recommended hasn't worked for you and we need to change the training program. I feel really strongly that if you actually dedicate four to six weeks of training to respiratory training, you will notice a difference on a time trial or on a step test or on a VO2 max test. You will notice a difference. You'll breathe differently and you'll breathe more efficiently and have improved performance. And all of the literature that's out there will show the same thing. If you actually strengthen your respiratory system, you'll improve your performance. So for athletes that want to have a measurable change, test on the sport that you're doing, do the respiratory training, test again, and notice the difference. And if you're not noticing a difference, send us a letter, we'll respond, and we'll try and help you find solutions to it. I wanted to ask how this applies towards altitude, because a lot of people live at sea level, and a lot of people want to go race places where there's altitude. 
I've used this to train at altitude and some other protocols that have actually been really helpful. Not, it's not this for me, it hasn't been the same as living at altitude, but there has been a lot of benefit to doing this. So how do you train your respiratory system for altitude? So just doing regular breathe weight training is going to help you cope with, you know, extreme altitude shifts, right? So if you're used to being closer to sea level and you go up to Leadville or whatever, you know, your, your system is going to have to breathe harder to maintain its output. And if your respiratory system is not fit enough for that, then it's going to be hugely limited by that respiratory system. So by just doing the training before you get there, it's just going to help you like not be limited by that respiratory, you know, muscle coordination when you get there. Then we start looking at the different uh, gases in your blood, right? And how that changes when we go up to altitude. When you're living out at altitude, you're going to probably have a higher hematic rate, which means you have more red blood cells to move oxygen around. And that's a way that the body adapts to the altitude. And so that, that takes time to occur. There's no way to speed up that process legally. And so we want to, you know, allow people to get that adaptation the way they, uh, they need to. But one cool thing about using the breatheway is that certainly in a scenario where you're going up to altitude and you're going to be racing the next morning or whatever, it is going to allow you to sleep better. And so you'll do a breatheway training session before bed, but not a hard one, like, you know, three to seven minutes long. And what that ends up doing, well, let me back up. When you go up to altitude, when you're not adapted to be there, your blood oxygen level is going to drop from, you know, 98% or 99% where it's normal. I mean, it might be closer to like 85% of its high enough altitude. And so now you have to deal with that like chronic load of 85%, which is not great. Feels, feels bad. So by doing the breatheway set before bed, it, it resaturates you back up to fully oxygenated and then allows you to sleep that off slowly. And so you sleep deeper, a little bit more rested. You wake up the next day, do another set before the start line, and you're bombing ready to go. I have a, a few athletes that are, you know, racing things like Breckenridge and, and Leadville. And, you know, maybe they're like, they're thinking about it in terms of like their transitions, right? When they're stopping for fuel, they're also going to do like 90 seconds of breathway just to top off their system before they go again. And so the interesting ways uh, of using it both for coping for altitude stress and then actually like preparing for altitude before you get there. I'm going to change gears and I have one last question. And it's probably a question that's a bigger question that's hard to answer in a short period of time. But a lot of people are obsessed with VO2 max. They're like, oh, like, and like, you know, their Garmin says your VO2 max is this, which I think that that's ridiculous that your, like your Garmin doesn't know what your VO2 max is based on a workout that you did. Cause there's like almost no respiratory data. I don't know what they're inferring there, but you know, how does this impact VO2 max and do we care? So VO2 max is an interesting number. And, uh, for those that know me from other things that I'm actively involved with VO2 testing all the time. But the max number is much less important to me from a coaching and performance perspective. However, I do recognize that it's used in the literature all over the place and it still maintains a fairly strong foothold in the industry. So if you remember what oxygen, what a VO2 max is, it's the maximum amount of oxygen consumed by the body at the highest performance or highest intensity possible. The respiratory system has a key role in that and to provide the oxygen through the muscle, uh, through the lungs and into the bloodstream. Then it requires the heart to actually pump it to the muscles and it requires the muscles to extract it from, from the system. There is 
pretty good indication that if you are inefficiently breathing, so if you start to breathe very, very fast, you actually are unable to push to saturate the blood well enough as it's pumped through at high speeds to actually saturate. And you actually can see some desaturation at very high intensities in people who have inadequate pumps, so that's bad hearts, or inadequate respiratory systems. And so the two are tightly related. If you train your respiratory system, become more efficient, slow the breathing down, but use bigger volumes like our roar from earlier that we talked about, you will be able to maintain better oxygen saturations at high blood flows through the lungs and provide higher levels of oxygen to the muscles, which will allow a higher VO2 score if that's what you're actually really focused on. I'll just throw in my plug now for limiting your reliance on VO2 as an indicator and look more at what happens with oxygen consumption at lower intensities, closer to race pace intensities. There are very few sports where a VO2 max is actually going to benefit. And some of those are really limited to track shorter track events, 400 meter, 200, 400, 800 meter track events, or other events that are similar durations to those. Yeah. Less important than people think it is. Yeah. One, one way that we use VO2 to help like Ironman athletes, for example, they're going to be on the bike for four or five hours is when we find their sort of racing output and we figure out what it's costing them in terms of VO2, if training is doing its job, then either VO2 stays the same and wattage increases or VO2 drops at the same wattage, right? So showing an increase in efficiency. And that's ultimately what we want is, is an economy car, right? We're trying to create a system that's using less resources to deliver the same performance. Okay. So yeah, we want to be more efficient. We want to be able to translate this efficiency into our sports so that we can perform better. And you can do that by training your respiratory system. And you have the Breathe Way Better as a tool that people can use that doesn't actually require that much time and commitment to train this. I mean, like you said, some people even once a week is going to make a difference. Yep. You can use it as a warm up so that you can, you know, go off the line even harder and faster without blowing yourself up. And you have free training plans. So to me, this sounds like a no brainer for people to start doing. I guess my last question is why aren't more people doing this? It's a great question. We've been doing it for, like I said, about you know two decades almost now. And <laughs> it always seemed like we were like the odd ones out for the longest time. And so it's it's really fun now that it's actually starting to grow. You know, we have practitioners all over the planet now. Check out our website for uh, our list of practitioners if you want to hook up with one in your area. But uh, it is a growing field and uh, and people are are learning the benefit of it. You know, for the longest time, I think respiratory system was thought of and still thought of as just this autonomic response to <laughs> physiologic stress. When for me to just talk to you in this way, I have to time my breath. So I have full control over what's going on here. And so I can train that system. I can train it better than I can train my heart. Yeah. I think uh, the limitation in the past has been accessible devices that actually benefit the system. So in the past, the the primary device that was used is really expensive, a uh, little bit complicated to use and had a, had a learning curve associated with it. So we've tried to address that by making our device affordable and easier to use. The other devices that were used are, are resistive devices, which have their own challenges to it because it actually doesn't allow people to 
improve range of motions. It really does only focus on one aspect of the respiratory system, which is strength, which may be a limitation for some athletes, but quite often isn't. It is usually a coordination issue or a volume issue. And those issues are not improved by adding resistance to it. They're actually can be made worse by adding resistance. And so a number of products that are inexpensive have not been shown to be as beneficial. And then so people stop using them. So I think we've kind of hit it at a good timing because of more people becoming aware of the respiratory system through through books like Breath and Oxygen Advantage and uh, The Breathing Warrior and The Breathing Cure, which all focus on the value of improving respiratory system. And I, I think we finally made a, a device that's affordable enough that people will commit to it and is easy enough to use that people can actually use it. The other challenge is there's been a lot of really great athletic endeavors that have been supported by respiratory training. And those athletes didn't want to share that information because it was it was a benefit to them that they didn't want their competitors to know about. And so we're sorry to those people that we're gonna that we're gonna train more people to be actually be competitive. And that'll be a fun over the next few years to see some of the athletes that we've been supporting who have clearly have a respiratory limitation are world class athletes who still have a respiratory limitation. And once we help them overcome the respiratory limitation, I'd be interested to see what's possible in the future. And that's going to be fun over the next couple of years. Yeah, I even think about like marathon rec- world records being, you know, even faster and all these different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People are coming yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, where can people find you? Find this, find, you know, isocapnic breathe way better. And the two of you, if they have any additional questions. Yeah. So check us out on, uh, on our website, breathewaybetter.com. We have a, an Instagram, Breathe Way Better. We try to post there daily with all sorts of training tips and educating people on some of the science and having lots of conversations about how respiratory training is, is a part of everybody's training and well-being kind of moving forward. Yeah. And then other than that, you know, search for us uh, as we're in your area and certain events where we're going to be showing up at triathlons and symposiums and all sorts of stuff. So cool. uh, we're, we're out there. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this information. And there's so much more that people can learn. And yeah, I'm excited for people to learn about this and start applying it in their own training and in their own lives. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Sonia. I hope you learned a lot in that episode. You might have to listen to it twice because there is so much information there. And again, if you want to pick up a Breathe Way Better for yourself, make sure that you use my code SonyaLooney2023, all lowercase for 10% off or the link in the show notes. And there is so much to be gained from training the respiratory system. I can't stress this enough. And that's why I am telling you so much about it because it has been a game changer for my performance and also for my husband's. We have transcripts for all of the shows on my website at SonyaLooney.com slash podcasts. I often refer back whenever I'm writing articles. And if there's something that you heard that you want to go check out, you can skim the show notes instead of having to listen to the entire episode all over again. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review as that will help it find others. And last, if you want to get more in the know on all things health and wellness and mental performance, make sure that you are signed up for my newsletter at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter, where I send out a detailed article on a topic that is related to health and performance, and also the podcasts that you might have missed and a question to ponder. So you can get that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. Thanks again for being a part of my community and listening to this podcast. It means the world to me that you care about the things that I am putting out in the world. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week.